Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Are you tired? Are you tired of the snow yet? You tired of it? more on the way if you live in an area that gets snow just get used to it uh, i spent the last week in chicago uh doing the auto show there that was a lot of fun uh, a lot of new cars uh snowworthy cars however i can't feel some of my body parts they're frozen still uh, ryan in the studio this week's uh, our auto expert uh, spending time at the Chicago Auto Show is always fun if you like freezing cold and you like to feel what it's like in hell, I guess. And trucks. And, and trucks. There's yeah. a lot of trucks. A lot of all-wheel drive. A lot of sports cars, too, this year at the show. Uh, so, you know, what was what was new and what was refreshing? We'll talk about that on, this, on today's show. Also, we're going to have a chance to talk to some of the people that made huge news in Chicago. Jim Morrison joining us. He's the big cheese at the head of the Ram brand. He'll talk to us about the brand new tailgate and uh, the 2500, the 3500, the 4500, the 5500, which they showed off at the Chicago Auto Show. We're going to talk to Shad Balch about the new Silverado. Uh, the 2500 announced two days before the Chicago Auto Show. Uh, the same, interestingly enough, the same day as the Ford Super Duty was uh, announced. So big trucks are definitely a theme today. Uh, Mary Ann Capo is going to join us to talk about Chrysler Pacifica. They had the original 1984, before you were born, Ryan, uh, minivan there, the Plymouth Voyager, and the original, the first one off the line. That is the and, minivan. Yeah, it was the minivan. It looks so panels. terrible. Was it vanilla? <laughs> it looks so terrible. <laughs> and they, you know, it looks like it's the day it came out of the factory, but it still looks terrible. Yeah. Orange interior. It, no, it was like a light brand corduroy seats, and the door handles were you know clunky. Why don't they and, make corduroy seats anymore? And probably for the same reason that, that this one had horrible corduroy seats. <laughs> you know, peanut butters like to get out of corduroy seats. <laughs> horrible. Uh, but they had the new Chrysler Pacifica minivan there, which was. Uh, a special edition. We'll talk to her about that. Dave Larson going to join us. They unveiled a new Land Rover Range Rover Evoque that has magical things in it, which it's allowed. It's, it can see around pieces of things. It can see around rocks. It's magic. And uh, also, we're going to be talking to uh, Anton Woolman, our crazy professor of all things science and uh, financial to do with the car companies. We'll find out what Tesla's been up to. We'll shake the tree a little to see what falls out. Price is coming down, by the way, of electric cars. He's going to fill us in on that. So what did we see at the Chicago Auto Show that was amazing? Uh, a lot of stuff. Sports cars, strangely enough, were a big deal. There was a special Mazda Miata or MX-5, to those people that know how to say it. And it's sold um, out online? It's sold out like in three hours, four hours. They made 500, oh no, 3,000 of these special 30th anniversary. It's been around for 30 years. The Mazda Miata is older than you, Ryan. Yeah. It's been around for 30 years, and they made a special edition that was bright orange, bright orange calipers to celebrate those 30. Sold out. We made 3,000 of them. Sold out before uh, before the end of the first day, so that that was good news for them. Uh, also, Chrysler Pacifica that that minivan is thirty five years celebrating the minivan. These people probably grew up in those minivans. Now they're celebrating thirty five years. 
We sound like old guys. You know, I, like when you get into your 70s and 80s, you go to shows, oh, my dad had a packet. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was like that right now. <laughs> my dad had one. You could crank the engine. You have to kick it in the rear light. It would start. Old cars. I feel like I'm getting super old when they do like 35th anniversary of a vehicle. I heard there was a bunch of arguing at the show, too. About? There's a bunch of arguing between Chevy and Ram. They were well, yelling at each other. Chevy, the, Ram, and Ford. They were yeah. all they were all having a bit of a. But it was the tailgate argument. With you. Well, yeah. they were just yelling at each other. Mine's so, better. So uh, Chevy doesn't have a great tailgate. It's the GMC uh, that has. A oh, cool, GM. Excuse me, GMC. Yeah. yeah, the GMC has the cool tailgate that has the fold down step in it. So Ram came out when the 1500 came out with this tailgate. That has uh, it's a it's a swing out tailgate, but it's it's a by a by swing outer. It does a sixty forty <laughs> split, so it splits just one side of the handle, and you get forty open one way and forty other. So you know, imagine like the doors of my mini on uh, my old mini clubman used to open. It's sort of the same thing like yeah. that. Uh, and then he, then two thousand pounds, you could have like eighteen of you would sit on the tailgate, right, and wouldn't bend it. Yeah, in or either form, so you can fold it down flat, or you can yeah, so it opens, door out dampened yeah. the normal way well then it does the split thing which is great now you can use a forklift truck to load it yep. which is kind of cool and then you don't have to drag hay bales over the edge you know like over the tailgate and there's the step cool. too underneath it the yeah, step so pulls this, out. yeah the step they've, they've, they've had the step for a while but it's been on the corner what's the GMC one do? Uh, it, it sort of flips so the tailgate has, it has a step in it that flips down into like a staircase it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It does, it does a bunch of stuff. I mean, d don't get me wrong. Which one's better? Which truck or the tailgate? Which tailgate is better? Eh, they're, two, they're two different, separate, separate tailgates. One's sort of used for loading and access. The other one's for used for climbing in. There. I like the Ram one better. Okay. Uh, I like the Silverado better than I like the GMC truck. The front end of the Silverado is a lot nicer. So uh, just before, well, about th two weeks before the Chicago Auto Show, uh, Ram came up with their 2500 and their, their uh, power wagon, which is uh, their, their heavy-duty truck. And then just, just before the Chicago Auto Show, Ford announced their new Super Duty. And uh, then Chevy out in, in introduced their new Heavy Duty. So everybody's getting to this, like, we can tow more than you. 35,000, 35,000, 35,000, 35, 700. Are they fighting. called one-ton trucks, too? Uh, yeah, they're, they're big, big babies. Yeah, but they're called one-ton, and they're yeah. hauling 35,000. How much is how much is that? 35,000 pounds, 189 football players or something ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, how many elephants? It's like six oh, elephants. Uh, yeah, it's six uh, female African bush elephants. Just, in case you wanted to know. Yeah. If you have a hauling bush elephants, you know how many you can haul now, just in case. Uh, so that, you know, there, there was a lot of fighting going on between the truck companies. We were baiting them, too. We talked to Mike Levine from Ford, and we said, hey, Mike, do you know that they, they can out-tow you? No, they can't! <laughs> they can't because they're doing it with a, with a, with a two-door cab, and we got a four-door cab, <laughs> so we got an extra 200. All right, calm down, buddy. I'm going to throw water on him. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> That's what we got coming up on the show. Stand by. Jim Morrison joining us from Round Trucks. He can tell us how much better he is than Ford and Chevy when we come back on our order. <laughs> That's so much to this show. I'm going to hold my breath now until Jim's on because I'm going to need every single ounce of energy to, uh, to counterpoint him on the new Round Truck. That's coming up. Keep listening. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. 
Start your engines and you're off. Back to our auto expert with Nick Miles. Ah, well, you know, Friday night when all the... Well, maybe Friday afternoon when all of the guys from the Chicago Auto Show, all the PR representatives, the presidents, the vice presidents, the managers, the CEOs, the CFOs, and the chief marketing officers all went home. They thought, that's it. We're done with the Chicago Auto Show. We've done our part. We've introduced our fabulous new product, and uh, we've shown everybody how amazing we are and what amazing things we can do. Little did uh, Jim Morrison know that I was going to steal his Sunday back to talk about the new Ram trucks. Hey, Jim. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm good. You thought it was over, but it's not. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of excitement from what uh, went on in Chicago, and uh, happy to keep that going here this weekend. So uh, it seems to be that the truck companies are really ramping it up. It's like this, uh, you, you guys are just trying to outdo each other, and I'm seeing things I didn't expect to see. First of all, let's talk about that new tailgate that you announced at the Chicago Auto Show. Uh, we, uh, I don't think there's ever been a tailgate that split 60-40 and swings open, has there, on a truck? Yeah, no, we, we call it the, uh, the Ram uh, multifunction tailgate, and, you know, it's one of those things that when you spend a lot of time putting things in and out of the bed of your truck, you're always trying to think of how to make it a little bit better. And and uh, the Ram engineer sure pulled it off with this uh, new multifunction tailgate. So it works like a normal tailgate would. You know, it drops down. It's got a nice dampening feature. It drops down easily like a normal tailgate. Uh, it does 2,000 pounds. You can, you know, drive onto it, uh, throw stuff onto it, whatever you need to do. Um, and then, or if you want to, you can open it up like barn doors with 60-40. So... Now, that's a great way to access your bed if you've got a big trailer on the back or if you just want to jump back up uh, into it. There's a nice little step, and it makes it really easy to get in and out of uh, the bed now with the new Ram multifunction tailgate. You use these trucks uh, for real life, and what I made me smile an awful lot is uh, you're giving really real-life examples of when you're out on your farm having to load hay bales in the bag. You no longer have to drag them over the tailgate. Yeah, you know, that, that was exactly my weekend uh, last weekend. You know, I had to move some hay from you know, one side of the farm to the other because of the crazy weather we've had here in Michigan. And, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to have that extra two feet that you don't have to lift over, you know. And, you know, bale of hay is only, you know, 60, 70 pounds. But, you know, you do it 10 times and you think, damn, <laughs> it's nice to be able to just throw it in the back and not have to lift over it. So that's uh, one of the solutions that uh, this new multifunction tailgate helps you survive with. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the enjoyableness of this tailgate coming to market because we heard a lot of people get excited about it. How long are they going to have to wait, and is it going to be a, a, an expensive option or is it going to be a reasonable option? You know, really quite reasonable. Uh, Nine ninety-five for the uh, for the gate and uh, for the Ram multifunction tailgate, and we can get it on every trim. So from tradesmen right on through until uh, you know our, our ones unlimited, and um, you know. It's uh, it's really easy to uh, access that way. Nine ninety five, um, easy to let it throw it into your monthly payment or uh, or your lease, which is really good. And uh, you'll be able to order them from our dealers uh, starting in about three weeks. So uh, we expect them to be uh, at dealerships in Q two, and uh, but the customers can go into our dealerships, uh, you know, within uh, just under three weeks and, and place an order for a new one coming in. So my uh, producer for Fox Sports, Stacy, went and bought a Ram truck yesterday at a dealer in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, if she wants to fit one, is she going to have to wait for her order of the truck, or is she going to have to? Uh, is she have to go and swap it out for another truck? Will you be able to retrofit them to existing 2018, 19 models? 
there, we're working on a solution. I don't know what it's going to be like, to be honest, because there's some some reinforcements that happen in the uh, in the box itself. I'm sure we'll be able to, but uh, we're still working on that solution to tell you exactly when and how uh, I'd have to uh, get back to that one. All right. Well, a lot of people who have Ram trucks and love them dearly would like to make sure they can add that accoutrement to their truck. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the other big news that you had. So coming out of Detroit, we had a new uh, 2500 big truck for you, uh, best in class towing when you announced it. Um, the competition stepped out with uh, two of their new trucks, the heavy duty trucks, but uh, you didn't leave it at just having the 2500 in Detroit. You gave us a 35, a 45, a 55, and a limit model at the Chicago Auto Show. Yeah, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Ram news uh, in Chicago and kind of all year. You know, it came out of the shoot with um, oh, sorry, crazy dog looking chasing a horse here. Um, <laughs> the uh, a lot of uh, uh, news that we left for Chicago was the um, um, was the uh, chassis cab. So you're right. We we introduced the the uh, the new heavy duty, so it'll it'll out power 1,000 pound feet of torque. You know, brand new uh, uh, Cummins turbo diesel. You know, really cranking out the torque, so it's the the most powerful engine, the highest torque in the uh, in the segment. It'll uh, out tow everybody in the marketplace here today. You know, thirty five thousand one hundred pounds and and uh, lots of payload as well. Um, you know, seventy six hundred eighty pounds. So it's the hardest working heavy duty truck in the market. Um, and then we backed it up with uh, the announcement in Chicago with the uh, with the chassis cab versions of it. Um, or you know the uh, the box off versions that you would have uh, you know for the uh, for the heavy duty trucks so the the commercial vehicles um, and uh, they, they you know crank out 800 pound feet of torque and uh, do a really nice job with um, everything that they do um, and they're going to have the highest uh, uh, payload and towing. Uh, in the uh, in their respective uh, segments as well, so you know being able to back it up with uh, with chassis cabs that uh, are the most capable in the marketplace as well. So we got a really uh, really powerful lineup at Ram right now. One of the things that made me smile an awful lot was that you, you know a lot of these guys have been doing things like uh, they've been driving their Range Rover out to horsing events and having someone drive a horse truck out there. So what you did was you re- made a limited version of the 5500, uh, and so they were able to tow a trailer with something like that and then still have the comfort all the way to perhaps the Kentucky Derby or something uh, that they're taking their horses to, uh, yet still have a car in a, a Ram, which is very close to a luxury vehicle. Well, you know, you're right. We've uh, you know, been well uh, recognized as having the uh, you know the best interiors in the uh, in the truck segment, arguably even in the uh, in the entire vehicle segments right now. You know, with our new interior that we have in our Ram trucks and all the materials and 12 inch radio and all of the uh, technology that you could ever imagine in a pickup truck. You know, we we thought why uh, why not make that available to the people that even have the need for those extra extra heavy loads. And you now I've had conversations with those those folks at horse shows and you know oftentimes they're hooked up to a you know a, a horse trailer that's that's uh you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and you know of course they get some the prize possessions in the back so you know heck why not give them everything they want in the uh, uh in the chassis cabs or their other heavy duty pickup trucks so you know we're, ram is really kind of breaking the way um people think of luxury trucks and capable uh, heavy duty trucks at the same time. So it's uh, it's nice to have that added to our lineup because I think it's going to already you know seeing it in some of the discussions after uh, Detroit and uh, and Chicago, you know from from customers uh, kind of calling in and weighing in 
Uh, looking forward to uh, getting these new uh, these new high-end uh, trucks with all the luxury and all the capability at the same time. One of the things that made me smile was there was a lot of criticism that Ram had uh, put up with from the competition about their 12-inch screen and the 1500. People saying, you know, no one's going to use a 12-inch screen. These are guys are, are working men and women. They don't need a they don't need all the uh, electronics in their vehicles. Well, you were proven well wrong. Uh, you sold you're selling a lot of those right now, and so you took the bold step of introducing that big screen, tablet-sized screen inside of your 2500s as well. Yeah, you know, the heavy-duty customers, um, you know, we're looking for that technology as well. And one of the things that we've done is we've made sure that that's available right down to the tradesman trucks because some of the things that it does really well, you know, work really well when you're hauling a, you know, 35,000-pound trailer because you've got all the size of the uh, uh, information is, is gigantic for you. So whether you need a 12-inch nav, you know, whether you need the, the, the top um, six inches of the nav screen showing you the the the, uh, the route and the bottom six inches, you know, showing you alternate routes because you've got, uh, you know, some um, an accident up ahead. You know, all that information is, is huge. It's right there in front of you. You know, whether you look and see, you know, our farmers love uh, looking at their uh, radar maps. So you can see a radar map coming through on the... Uh, uh, on the big 12-inch screen and, you know, decide what field to go, um, you know, mow down. You know, if you're a farmer, there's lots of, uh, lots of usages right. you know, for that 12-inch. Uh, All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Jim Morrison from Ram Trucks. Congratulations on your very nice uh, new trucks that you introduced at the Chicago Auto Show. Uh, Of course, if you want to see them, you can go to uh, the Ram website where you can just load them up with lots of big Cummins engines and and fun and accoutrements and 12-inch screens and that sort of stuff. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Chicago Auto Show. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Chicago Auto Show uh, was an interesting show. New vehicles, so Subaru showing off a brand new Legacy. And the new Legacy actually looks to me like a European sports car. <clears throat> much more European, uh, much more Audi, BMW-esque than they have ever in the past. I may be the only person that thinks that because uh, nobody else agrees with me. However, they are uh, putting a turbo back in it, which makes people very excited. Two point, uh, pow, 2.5 liter engine. Uh, you know, it's it. I think they have to put turbos in these vehicles now too to sort of offset some of the need for speed. People uh, like a vehicle that's a little more exciting and enthusiastic. Uh, Subaru well known for their STI WRX STIs and uh, for for their more sporty drives, and they want their family sedan to be a little more sporty. Going to be made in Lafayette, Indiana, which is kind of exciting for Subaru because it means it's an American make. Incidentally, the legacy was the very first Subaru made in the United States. Quite often I will fly in and do uh, I'll, I'll do some anchoring at WGN in Chicago and then I'll drive down to Fox 59 in Indianapolis and do a little uh, TV anchoring down there and I drive that highway which is where the Subaru factory is because you pass Lafayette, Indiana and it's just off the freeway this giant big white square box with two chimneys coming out of it and quite nicely good piece of a big thumbs up for the marketing team for Subaru because they created sort of a hillock out the front of the factory as the factory is probably about half a mile from the road and there's 
in the summertime you can't see it because the trees grow up in front of it. In the wintertime there's no leaves on the trees so you can see directly across the field over the fences and you can see the factory. But in the wintertime and the summertime, the hillock doesn't move. It's there for the whole uh, the whole year. They park this sort of display hillock, something like you might get out the front of a dealership, sort of a mound. They display their Subarus on it, sort of a black top mound with a big Subaru sign. And so I drive past it each time and I like to look at what's actually on the front of those signs, uh, you know, in front of the sign, what kind of new Subaru are they making. Uh, and they used to make Toyotas at that factory, I believe. Uh, or like Subaru and uh, Toyota used to have a deal, but now it's all just Subarus, about uh, 500000 a year they're making out of the factory. I believe it's the uh, Impreza, the Crosstrek, the uh, Outback, the Legacy, the and the Ascent. I think there's five Subarus they make there. Uh, but the Legacy was the first um, Subaru to be made in the United States, and it's been years of success for them. Uh, the factory is also well-known for its ecological position on the planet they even recycle light bulbs not sure quite how they do that but they recycle light bulbs out of the factory they recycle everything it's a zero landfill factory which you know what what are the plastic sandwich bags in the lunch what happens to those they get recycled it's zero percent they're not allowed to bring them into the facility what do you do what do you bring your lunch in this is too much radio sound. <laughs> <laughs> what is your lunch coming if you can't? I have no clue. You can't put your sandwich you get bags? You on Subaru on. Talk about lunches. Yeah, what, what, what do you bring your sandwiches into Subaru? Mm -hmm. you, no, no. Is there a lunch police that check what you have in your lunchbox? You get a Subaru-signed bag. Reusable. That's, that, that's what you bring, yeah, to and from work. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Simple. What happens if you break the law? I think we're thinking... You go to Subaru jail? Way too far into this. They have a little jail in the corner of the factory because you, you cause some landfill? It's know, inside it's the hill where they store the cars, yeah. where they put the people. You sit out there and freeze until you learn your lesson, boy. Um, I don't know why the guy who's in charge of Subaru Police sounds like a country uh, like Sheriff, but apparently he does. Uh, so Zero Landfill Factory that Subaru have there at Lafayette, Indiana, or in Indiana, Indiana. I, I drive past it all the time. Uh, and Good news for them. Brand new legacy announced. Uh, the largest leg room, a rear leg room of any car in their class. The largest interior room that the legacy has ever had. And a giant 11 point something dot six, I think. 11.6 inch touchscreen on the inside. Looks like a big iPad. Very similar to what the Dodge Ram has in it. But uh, slightly smaller. Only about an inch smaller. But nice to see that sort of... I think Tesla were the first company to do that, but nice to see that in the middle of the brand new Subaru Legacy. Uh, and on top of that, uh, Toyota had like uh, just tons of new vehicle: Sequoia TRD, uh, brand new Rav4 TRD Pro, um, a limited edition Land Cruiser. Even though they sell most of their Land Cruisers outside of the United States. The limited edition, the heritage edition Land Cruiser will only be for sale inside the United States. And then they had uh, the new Tacoma there. They had a brand new Tacoma at the show. Well, most of them are refreshes though, right? They're yeah, the, the, it's a mid-cycle mm. Tacoma, but it looks, uh, it looks sharp. I went and built one today online. $46,000. Where's the Tundra? It, I'm waiting on the Tundra. What, what, what are you waiting for? The new one. There's it's a Tundra TRD. No. I wish you'd go and look at life, life cycles of trucks around seven years. So here's the interesting thing. Aren't they on 12 now, though? No, seven years. Seven years. Uh, no, no, there, there's been a new one recently, like in the last four years. I could go find out. Wikipedia.com. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing is, 
So trucks are, are brand new about every seven or eight years. <clears throat> every American truck company came up with a heavy duty this week within, within three weeks of each other. Three weeks of each other. They're all cycling together. They're all on the same production cycle. You know that they're talking to each other. Someone no, they don't. Be- they don't like each other. How no. come it came out all at the same time? Fist, fisticuffs, because <laughs> they have spies. They have spies that are spying on the, the competition. How do I get that job? Uh, I will tell you, when, the, when that tailgate came out from Ram, guys over at Chevy were like, yep, yeah, yeah, we knew. We knew it was coming. We'd seen sketches a couple of years ago. <laughs> they're all like they're all they're all just like espionage, it's super truck espionage. All right, uh, talking about super truck espionage, Shad Balch will be joining us when we come back to talk about Silverado, new heavy duty, big muscular truck. Got to go to the plant in Flint, Michigan, to see that uh, being made. Didn't drink the water, however. That's all coming up as our auto <laughs> expert continues here. It's all big truck, big truck week. Stay tuned. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our Auto Expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. Yes, uh, if you didn't want to hear about trucks today on today's show, you should probably have gone down your laundry or something because uh, that's that's where we headed with most of today's show, talking about trucks, talking about the Chicago Auto Show, just pre the Chicago Auto Show. Got to spend some time in Flint, Michigan, uh, where we saw the new uh, Chevrolet. (laughs) That was a a mixture between Chevy, Silverado, and Silverado. You did drink the water, didn't you? I told you not to drink the water. Stop. Stop. It's a beautiful place. I got to meet the mayor of Flint. She's a very nice lady. Oh, God. Did um, you tell her something? No. Okay. No, Let's not get political. No. Before <laughs> before we get ourselves into trouble, I'm just going <laughs> to head on into talking to my friend Chad Balch from Chevy, who's on the phone. Hi, Chad. Hello, guys. So, uh, <laughs> you guys really, uh, you're stepping up a little bit. It's, it's You're getting tough with everybody, with your big trucks. We are indeed. I mean, it's... Uh, it's you know it's a very competitive segment for sure, especially as more people are giving up the small cars and sedans and moving into crossovers and trucks. It's all about options now, and you can't just you don't just build a truck for for one purpose. You got to give the customers options, and that's what the new 2020 HD Silverado does. Uh, I like the fact that it's uh, it's very in your face and bold, but it still feels like it's a Silverado. Um, it was interesting to roll into the factory in Flint, Michigan. By the way, what a experience to go see those things put together. There's a there is a lot of work that goes into building one of those, but to see them all sitting out in the parking lot, like hundreds and hundreds of them waiting to be shipped to new owners. I just, I just wanted to run and touch them all. It was really exciting. Have you been to the factory in Flint? I have. I got to tell you, that's one of the most cool experiences is going to an assembly line where you see, you know, any vehicle just being put together and it just all happens very fast. I mean, we, we roll them off every, about every 13 seconds or something like that. It's amazing how fast and how integrated everything works in those plants. I was uh, kind of shocked because they had, so uh, during the HD reveal, during the press conference, you know, well rehearsed, put together, they had a huge big area of the factory all lit up, Uh, they had stands and seats out and, you know, microphones and music and lights and it was was like, uh, you know, concert came to town, but there was all these crates sitting back there, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of crates and I went poking around after it and they basically all contained a piece of the flat bottom piece 
space in the back of the bed for these trucks. And I started went, well, how many of these in a single stack? And there was like 25, and there must have been like uh, four, 400 of these stacks of these things. That's a lot of trucks, a lot of bed parts all sitting in one area. It's unbelievable how many trucks you're making out of there. I tell you, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that when you see it all under one roof, you think, man, if one thing just slips up, it's going to mess up the whole line. <laughs> it's shabby. It's nothing nothing messes so up. Well. Nothing messes up. <laughs> it's, there's, there's people in, in colored vests and big hard hats that walk around making sure that uh, those things don't go wrong. All right, let's get to the truck itself. Uh, obviously, you guys super excited about it. Uh, huge, big truck. Uh, we're talking about America's workhorses. One of the things that we heard right from the beginning was you guys just didn't want to upscale the regular Silverado. You wanted to make a truck that was specifically for those that needed a heavy duty truck. It wasn't just an, a, an enlarged version of what you already had. Yeah, that's exactly right. So instead of just picking the 1500 Silverado and beefing it up to be an HD, the new truck, the 2020 HD, it's all new. Everything is new from the frame, the body panels, the power plants, everything is new, which allowed us to focus in on, on achieving some important numbers. So I know that you've heard this number 35,500. That's what this new truck will tow, which is you know, more than a 50% increase over the outgoing truck. It literally moves mountains. And that, that's super important to these guys because these aren't people who are using this as a family vehicle. Uh, you know, they may use it as a family vehicle, but that's not its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is to work, is to tow a horse trailer, is to load sand and gravel and rocks or tow machinery or, or tow a backhoe behind it. These are, this is what builds houses. This is what moves livestock. This is what delivers heavy machinery, right? That's exactly right. What's interesting is, so, you know, we have data that shows that about 90% of, of truck owners, of HD truck owners, they do just that. They tow. But interestingly, because there's this trend of folks moving out of small cars and sedans into full-size pickup trucks and SUVs, this truck also has to have all the attributes that a car used to have. So you have all the connectivity, all the safety and convenience features, all of the technology that you would normally find in either a luxury car or a small vehicle. Now you, you, you're finding that in these, these massive HD workhorses. One of the things I think is interesting is that heavy-duty trucks are exempt from a lot of legal uh, parameters that a smaller vehicle may not. Uh, they don't have to report fuel numbers. They don't have to report uh, certain crash safety uh, numbers. But you guys do anyway because it's important to you that the customer trusts you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... The, you get the competitive advantage when you are when you know what the regulation is and then you exceed it, right? So fuel economy standards, tailpipe emissions, all of these things that uh, that set the benchmark of where we have to be. That just levels the playing field. So it, it only makes sense if if you're going to invest in technology to exceed that, you want to brag about it, which is why we do just that, so that we can set ourselves apart from the competition. One of the things that I do, I'm sure it's not a very ecological and green thing to do, but when I'm traveling on the road, which is usually uh, Monday through Saturday, when I'm out and I think of, oh, I need to replace that at home or I need to replace this at home, I'll go onto Amazon.com and I'll order some stuff and it'll be at home when I arrive back at home on at the end of the week. Interestingly enough, my boxes from Amazon this week had pictures of Chevy trucks all on the outside of them. 
Yeah, that's one of our new, um, so we, we just launched our massive advertising campaign for the full Silverado lineup. Uh, it was probably the 1500 that you saw. And yeah, that's what's a, it's a new method of, of reaching the consumer is on the boxes they receive from Amazon. There's a lot of people are doing that these days, so we figured, why not? And I liked it because it wasn't just black and white. It was actually a bright red truck, so I had a nice picture of a bright red truck on my doorstep when I came home. Uh, the advertising campaign, the Silverado now hitting uh, dealerships uh, as we speak. Everybody should have them in dealerships now, so you guys are ramping up, uh, making sure that everybody's aware of the truck. Sales going well for the, for the, the, the regular Silverado? Yeah, the Silverado 1500, I tell you, we can't build them fast enough. They're, they're moving off the lots as soon as they hit. Uh, the HD, which you just saw last week in Flint, that'll start arriving in dealership lots around the uh, beginning of summertime. And we expect that they're going to go just as fast. I mean, when you have numbers like this for a truck that, that can do what it, what it can do, people are waiting for it. They want it. And we can't wait to get it ready for them. I have to tell you, my favorite part of the Silverado is uh, something that's a little strange is actually the the bed because you guys put together on the 1500 a bed which is it just makes me smile you can actually slot two by fours across the bed on the side of the bed then put a big piece of plywood and actually get like a double decker bed out of it yeah i'll tell you what when you do these focus groups with uh, our engineering team to figure out how we can build the best truck every customer said it's the bed the bed has to be functional. The bed has to be big. Bed, 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 bed. So it's it's the largest box of all of, in the market of all of our competitors. It's about six inches longer and wider um, than it, than the outgoing model, and that's because we removed a lot of metal that was on the inside of the bed walls and just used higher strength steel on the outside. So we were able to get more space, and you, we have the dual layer like you were talking about, where you can have actually two little slots. So that's that's what we um, one of the things that we're very proud of is that the bed is more functional than it's ever been. And you just didn't leave it at the twenty five hundred and the fifteen hundred. Uh, you've also come out with some new versions of the Colorado. The first time I've actually seen a truck that you call the Bison, um, and I like it. And it's not just a pretty truck. You actually made this uh, in conjunction with some guys that really know how to do some serious off roading. Oh, we did. Yeah, this is an overlander's dream. The the Colorado ZR2 Bison. It takes everything that the ZR2 off road truck delivered and just takes it up a notch. And it's it's really it's a uh, we partnered with AEV, which is notorious in this space for for putting together aftermarket kits. But this is something that you can buy from the Chevy showroom now, so you don't have to deal with any aftermarket or warranty issues, or it's fully warranted. But you get all the capability of of a true customized overlander. One and uh, that truck is on sale now, too. One of the things I noticed about it, Shad, is it has uh, it has sort of a, a snorkel on the side, but it is, it's not an underwater snorkel. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It's more for avoiding dust. So when you're, when you're boonie bashing through desert trails and things like that, it keeps the, the air box clean um, so that it doesn't get bogged down with dust and dirt and mud and things like that. I, uh, you have a pretty interesting uh, background, don't you, in doing a little truck racing? Yeah, yeah. Off-roading <laughs> is my passion, and anytime I get, it, I can get out there and, and uh, fly a truck through the air, that's where I'll be. I, I know that's uh, something that makes you very excited. Are you getting your bison soon? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm <laughs> breaking miles on one now, so <laughs> and it's raining here in L.A., so I'm 
I'm anxious to get out there into the mud. Uh, well, you know, you have plenty of good desert out in the LA area. You could probably take it for a run or two. Uh, you know, one of the my favorite things was off roading in the in the New Zealand. It was just one of the most exciting things that we've ever done. We did it in I think it was Utah uh, last year. And first time ever, I will tell you that I actually prefer the gas engine to the diesel. I'm usually a bit of a diesel fan, but once you get out, when you get out there with that gas engine, you can stomp on that thing and it goes like a race car. Yeah, I'm a, I'm on the same page. I love the speed and that gas engine, that V6. You know, with that light truck, you hit the throttle, that thing just takes off. Diesel's great for climbing up rocky hills, but I want the power of the V6. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, something is interesting that I much prefer the off-roading when you can put your foot flat on the floor than I do the very slow going over rocks. You, you know, the engineers don't like you very much when you take rocks too fast. Yeah, they don't. Pretty soon those skid pans got to be an inch thick. Right. Uh, A lot of fun driving. Well, Shad, thanks very much for joining us. It sounds like you guys have a bunch of uh, hot new trucks hitting the market soon. So the HD coming uh, this summer, the Silverado uh, 1500 in dealerships right now. And what about the Bison? When can we expect to see that? Uh, that should be hitting soon. It's uh, already arriving in dealer lots across the country. I would I would be more than happy to evaluate one. Anytime you want to send one up, I would be more than happy to tell you what I think. You know we will. <laughs> Shad Balch from uh, Chevrolet. He's a great guy, and uh, he's our go-to guy with everything uh, truck-wise. Uh, Ryan, you don't drive a truck anymore. No. You, you're, you're done with your truck. Yeah, I'm done with trucks. Why? Because there's no need for them for me. What's wrong with you? I like to go fast, sideways. Well, all right, we just talked about the bison. Oh, okay. You can go fast sideways in that? I'm listening. <laughs> you got me now? Yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please. Um, I, I will tell you, I get into sedans. I, I love my Mini very much, but there's nothing like... I had that GMC Terrain the other day, and I drove that for a week. I was blown away. It's that I did not expect how nice that was. Starting at under $26,000, then GMC's the premium brand for Chevrolet. It's sort of the, you know, you take it to the luxury level. That's the GMC version of it. I was blown away at starting under $26,000 how cool that vehicle was. Now, don't get me wrong. You could easily price yourself up the same price as, you know, a luxury car in the market by adding on everything you could find. But is it truly fun to drive? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you know something? I was expecting it not to be fun to drive because that's the most overused, you know, not true mm. statement by a lot of car companies. It's a fun to drive. And I'll be the decider of what's fun to drive, let me tell you. GMC Terrain was a lot of fun to drive. Coming up, we're going to go completely the other end of the scale and talk minivans. Grads are celebrating 35 years as the leader in minivans. They had a new one at the Chicago Auto Show. We get to speak to Mary Ann Campo. She's going to be here telling us all about that special Chrysler Pacifica. Don't go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. Oh, Chicago Auto Show. Uh, we are talking about all of the big trucks that were released there, but we're going to switch gears a little bit and now talk something a little more family-oriented. Ryan, how did you get transported as a child outside of the cage? When I was, was an only it? child, so right. in the cage. Oh, outside the cage. When, you, yeah, when you were transported, how were you transported when your parents took you out of the cage? 
<laughs> my mom had an old Honda Civic. And that's how I learned actually how to slide sideways was in that Honda Civic. No, no, wait. I'm talking about what as a little child. About? Did you not Family car. Did, did you not ever like have a your mom didn't have a station wagon or no. a minivan? You you was the only I This was is only what's kid. wrong with you. You're missing a whole part of your like growing upness. <laughs> I yeah. We all grew up in like a minivan or something. I grew up alone. Like, except you. Ryan's sad I, I grew up alone in a cage. I'm very sad. Uh, you know, I grew up. My my parents had a Toyota minivan, and it was Toyota a camper minivan. Yeah, in yeah, in England, it was a camper. And my sister and I. Well, I did it really. I like to say my sister and I because I used to drag her along with me to do things that were naughty, and then just like she'd get half the punishment. Where it was really my idea. So we stretched a blanket from one corner to the other corner. And when my dad used to drive it, we used to sit in like a hammock in the middle. And one day we were swinging backwards and forwards, and that's my dad was like, "You better stop now because I can't keep control of the mini." <laughs> that's how little they were. Uh, at the Chicago Auto Show, uh, Chrysler showed off a new edition of their Pacifica minivan, uh, but they had the original Plymouth Voyager on display. Marianne joining us from Chrysler. Uh, who did that uh, minivan belong to that was on display? The the thirty five year old Voyager. Hi, Nick. Um, yes, it's Marianne Capel from Chrysler. Um, the Plymouth Voyager that we had on display at the auto show was actually a museum uh, property. So it's part of the company, and we've taken great care of that vehicle. I was hoping that somebody it was somebody's daily driver, because that would have been an awesome story for 35 years. But you probably have to look after it. It's, a little, it, it's older than most uh, minivans on the, on the, I guess, alive today. Well, yes, that's correct. Well, it's one of the original uh, model year, uh, 1984 model year um, Plymouth Voyagers. So uh, we amended the segment 35 years ago. Uh, so that's uh, the first one that was that came out to the market. It's funny to think how popular beige was, because I think almost every part of that van is beige. Uh, and, and then it I'm, is. Well, it's got the board panel. <laughs> yeah. As well and I think the seat, I, I was making a joke at the top of the show, Marianne, to say the seats looked like they were made from corduroy. I'm not sure they actually were, but they definitely looked like they could have been some sports coat somewhere. They were like very, very suave. Very much so. Well, it's a retro look. It is. Now, yeah, now, now yeah. it's... It's like back in fashion now, isn't it? The, I think so, too. The, I think so, too. Well, and back then, you know, the minivan, when we invented it, it was called the Magic Wagon. And we also referred to the family room on wheels, bringing back great memories oh, wow. uh, for all of us, really. It was, uh, it was kind of fun because it was the first vehicle that you could ride in where you didn't have to touch your sister. So that always made me very happy because my sister could get in a different row than I, uh, I did. And then, then, you know, we didn't have to fight all the time. To celebrate such a great segment of the automotive history and uh, such a great modern segment of the, of the modern minivan, you've come up with a 35-year edition, special edition of the Chrysler Pacifica, which is the direct descendant from that Plymouth Voyager. Well, um, correct. Um, we are going to be launching to the market a 35th anniversary edition, and we're showing it at Chicago Auto Show. Um, they'll be coming to dealerships this summer, um, but what a perfect way to celebrate a great, um, huge milestone of ours, being in the market 35 years as the inventor and the leading innovator of the segment. I love the fact that this new one, that, and I, you know, I spent quite a bit of time with it at the Chicago show this week. I love the fact that it looks so menacing. You've blacked it all out. 
Well, correct. Um, so as part of the um, 35th anniversary edition, you'll get an exterior badge, of course, showing you that it's the 35th anniversary. But as well, from the exterior, you can put our S appearance on it. The S appearance is a blacked out look. It's super popular. We've got about one out of every three of our minivans today that we're selling has the blacked out look. A lot of parents like to like to be cool. I know I was talking to Kristen from your PR team. She was telling me okay. that she likes to take uh, all her daughter and her daughter's teammates uh, from the the sports team in their Chrysler Pacifica, and then she ends up as the coolest mom in town because they have the preloaded games in the back and they have the plugins in basically every row. Well, yeah, we have the ultimate in family entertainment. I like to call it that. That it's our UConnect theater, um, two ten-inch high-definition touch screens in the back that plays videos. You can play games. There's built-in games. I think that's what you're referring to that you were talking to Kristen about. The kids just love it. Um, I also will have my daughter and all of her friends, and they entertain themselves along a uh, long road trip. So you can keep your eyes on the road, and they can have fun in the back. I like the fact, too, that uh, you put the vacuum cleaner in the second row because your competition decided the best place for the vacuum cleaner was in the very back, which is fine if you have dogs and you have to vacuum the trunk out because you get a lot of dog hair in them. But let me tell you... that you have OCD. The, the, you the, the Cheerios <laughs> and the dogs like to spend as much time as close to the front seat as possible. My guys do anyway. So if you can put them in the back of the minivan, but they are climbing those seats to get up front with you the whole time. So having the vacuum in the second row seems to make quite a lot of sense. Well, we get a lot of kudos from our customers as far as the um, positioning and how the easy accessibility of the front to the rear, and you really can vacuum up whatever you need. So I'm glad that you've appreciated that as well. <laughs> One of the things I also like about the van, uh, just tooling around with it at the Chicago Auto Show, was the fact that you can actually hook into the navigation system and you can play a game called Are You There Yet? Are We There Yet? Which is probably the most asked road trip question of all time. That's right. So as part of the Uconnect Theater, um, kids in the rear can play Are We There Yet? So they know basically how much time yet until, uh, until you get to the place that you're going to. That's such a common question that kids have. I think as we grew up, that's all I did was ask my parents, when are we going to get there? Are we going to get mom? <laughs> right. So this is actually going to entertain your kids and let them know how much further it is until you get to your location. When can we test drive the special edition? So, yes, the 35th anniversary edition will start arriving to dealers this summer. As we like to say, it's just in time for summer family road trips. All right. Uh, I can buy that. I can buy that. I'll be taking a road trip this year. Uh, Marianne, thanks for joining us. And, of course, you can always go and test drive the vehicle as soon as it arrives at dealers. I just love the menacing black tail. No longer do dads have to uh, drop their kids off a block away from school. This, this minivan is menacing enough. You can go right up to the front gate. It looks really cool. 35 years the minivan's been around. That's just, uh, it's longer than I have. Wow, that's, a, that's pretty awesome. All right, coming up, more. With Nick Miles is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. 
Welcome back to the show, Chicago Auto Show in full swing. A lot of new cars, trucks and SUVs being introduced to the public. Uh, the biggest consumer auto show in North America. A million square feet, a thousand vehicles and Land Rover, Range Rover took the opportunity of the show to introduce their brand new Land Rover, Range Rover Evoque, which was on display for the first time to the public. Dave Larson from uh, Land Rover and joining us on the phone. Dave, it was a, uh, a very big moment for you because this is the vehicle that really got a lot of the younger people excited in Land Rovers. Yeah, it was a uh, huge opportunity, and we had to be really careful when we redesigned the new Evoque, and that's why we really listened to the feedback we got from our customers. And if I could narrow it down to one sentence, it was, don't change it, just make it better. Is, was it possible? Could you possibly have made it better from the last edition? Well, let me tell you, it's, it's really amazing because the exterior is definitely an evolution of the current Evoke. It is immediately recognizable as an Evoke, but everything in the interior and below the skin has been completely redesigned. All right, so the only thing I can think that I uh, had a challenge in the, the last edition of the Evoke was sometimes backing up in the two-door. It was a little hard to see out of the vehicle, but, you know, with the evolution of backup cameras, it's it's not as hard as it used to be because, of course, it's always had a backup camera, and now, of course, you, you know, you guys were ready for that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that's one thing that we realized with the styling of the car, you know, delivering that raked roof line, it was, uh, you know, difficult to see out the rear view uh, window. So what we did is we introduced a new feature on the Evoke. It's called rear, Clear Sight Rear View Mirror. And what it is is we actually have located a camera up on top of the roof of the vehicle that looks behind you. And you're able to see that image on the uh, rear view mirror, and you can flip or toggle between the traditional mirror view or the camera view. I like that idea, but it wasn't the only uh, camera you installed in the car. You got uh, you got magic, didn't you? You've done you've done something magic at the front. You'd explained it to me two or three times, and it still sounds uh, like it's sci-fi. So now this vehicle actually can see an awful lot better than the previous edition. Yeah, no, it's it's really neat. Uh, the technology on the front of the car. So we have a camera on the front of the car, and then we have two cameras that are looking down from the external exterior mirrors. And we have software that patches an image together that is displayed on the uh, center console. And what that does is it gives you a immediate image of what's underneath the front of the vehicle. So it'll see out 25 feet, but most critical is if you're ever in off-road situations, and we even realize when you're even parking the vehicle, we call it clear sight ground view, and you can see right on the uh, center console exactly what's under the front of the vehicle. And and this is you know not only yeah as you like as as you said not only good for parking in the city but those people that are buying Evokes tend to be the adventurous crowd and so they want to do a little bit of uh, off roading may not be as rough and as ready as something you might do in a discovery but they definitely want to get out out and do some of that and this helps them avoid uh, perhaps running into rocks. Exactly, you get a clear sight of uh, exactly what's underneath the tires. It's almost like having a spotter out on the trail, direct, helping to direct you.
And then another off-road uh, feature we have is weight sensing, which allows the vehicle uh, to inform the driver of the depth of the water you're going through. So really nice system that tells you exactly how deep the water is that you're currently in. Wait, wait, that... That is one of the biggest problems with uh, driving through water because, of course, you can never tell when you drive up to uh, to water how deep it is. We've all seen those pictures of Russian anchors stepping into a puddle and disappearing up to their neck because it wasn't apparent immediately how deep the water was. Uh, but now this, how does it do that? Was this like laser spaceship stuff? So, again, uh, we have ultrasonic, sensors in both of the external exterior mirrors that are looking down and they project an image on the um, infotainment system in the center console which is basically a profile of the vehicle and then you see what the depth of the water is and also with the evoke we have uh, segment leading uh, depth boarding at nearly two feet all right, because I was surprised that uh, when I drove the I-Pace through a river in Portugal, and I'm going to get uh, the opportunity to drive the brand new Evoque, uh, and I presume uh, the they're probably designing the track right now in or the off-road section in Greece uh, where we're going to do this. I'm I'm pretty sure it'll have some water involved. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it, this vehicle lives up to the Land Rover DNA, and you're going to see an incredible off-road course and definitely uh, some and for depth ordering uh, activities. So uh, also, this is the vehicle that is a sort of a marriage, uh, a hybrid, uh, if you were, of the cool in sort of fashion uh, accessory, the, the cool piece of uh, part of your urban lifestyle at the same time as being totally capable to take for a weekend activity. And really the Evoke was responsible for bringing in a whole bunch of new customers and also reducing the median age of the customers that buy Land Rovers. Yeah, the, the Evoke brings a lot of new buyers to the brand, uh, especially... Um, from a uh, male-female point of view, uh, it is a uh, really attracts a uh, majority of the females and um, because they love the styling and the luxury and the refinement. But the thing is, because it is a Land Rover, we do not skip any of the off-road capability. It is segment-leading, and it, it really crushes it off-road. I love going on the Land Rover events because you can tell us all this stuff in a presentation. You're like, well, it's totally capable. It can do some serious off-roading. And then not only do you take us on a nice road drive so we can see how the car handles, how it corners, how it accelerates, how it brakes, how the safety systems work, but you also always find the most outstanding off-road courses, whether it be the deserts in uh, Phoenix or whether it be uh, some mountains in Portugal for us to actually go and traverse to see how well these vehicles do. When you test them at Land Rover headquarters, when you put these guys, put these cars through their uh, their rigmarole to make sure that they can actually do all this off-roading, do you have a standard course? Do you have a set of numbers that the vehicle has to meet before you're going to let the public uh, you know, buy one? Uh, well, I know with the Evoque, we've tested over 8 million miles combined uh, in, in our vehicles uh, that are uh, running on the test tracks uh, in Gaten, where our engineering center is. And you talk about 
taking the abuse. And to be honest, I, I, I'm sure that's not one one job I would like because <laughs> uh, these guys are getting bounced around, and uh, really uh, they're taking a little abuse on some of the off road courses and 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 bumps they're driving over. I can't wait to uh, to test drive it in uh, in Greece coming up. See how uh, how well it handles. What's uh, what's the on sale date? So the vehicle will be in showrooms in April, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, you know the introduction uh, just around the corner. All right, and then we're talking. Uh, is is the pricing been announced yet, or are we still waiting for that? So price was announced at the Chicago Auto Show, and the new Evoke starts at forty two six fifty, which is just about an eight hundred dollar price increase over the outgoing model. But we've included just about two thousand dollars of additional equipment standard in the vehicle, so it's a tremendous value. Sounds like a deal, Dave Lawson from uh, Land Rover. Thank you for joining us, talking about the brand new Evoke, which I will be happy to tell you how it test drives uh, coming up in the uh, the next few weeks or so. The uh, I, I have been a Land Rover owner for many years and really enjoyed driving my Land Rovers. Uh, they are one of the vehicles that you can have a whole bunch of fun off-roading with. And all these guys who are sticking tents on top of their vehicles... Uh, the Land Rover have been doing it. I love the Land Rover story because they were looking at how to use up aircraft parts from the uh, the Second World War out of aluminum. That's how the Land Rover brand was born. Coming up, Anton Warman going to be joining us. We're going to be finding out what's going on with Tesla and some huge drops in the prices of electric cars. As our auto expert continues, oh boy, are we going to rake him over the coals? to find out the news. More Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. It's our Auto Expert with Nick Miles. All right, Chicago Auto Show going on for those people that live in the area that go see it. One of the big American Four Auto Shows. It's actually going to be uh, a bigger show uh, this year, because next year as well, it's likely that they'll announce the North American car truck and SUV of the year at that show, uh, since Detroit is taking a hiatus until 2020. Alton Wallman is our independent advisor and analyst. He's joining us on the phone to talk about what's been going on in electric cars and the business of automotive. Anton, for the first week, uh, Tesla have started selling their Model 3 in Belgium and the Netherlands. That's right. So uh, Model 3 has obviously been on the sale in the United States for about 18 months already. But the first commercial deliveries to regular consumers took place uh, in Belgium and Holland just uh, in the last uh, couple of days. So uh, uh, the question is, how many units will Tesla be able to sell of the Model 3 into Europe? Because as we know, in the United States, Sell, sales fell off a rock, basically, uh, starting January 1st because of, in part anyway, the uh, uh, halving of the uh, federal tax credit, which was $7,500 until the end of the year, but is now only $3,750 for all Tesla cars sold in the United States. So with that kind of a sales drop here in the United States after January 1st, can Europe make up for this, even in the short term, let alone uh, going throughout the year? That will be the big question here. Uh, so 
now Tesla, there is, you know, they do their sales every three months. Uh, the announcement that is of some analysts that they dropped uh, around 70% in the United States. Does that mean that they're looking to make their income outside of the United States? That's right. So um, basically the idea is that sales uh, into Europe and also into China, which is set to start within the next 30 or so days, uh, the hope is for Tesla's sake that they are going to make up for the reduction in U.S. sales by selling more cars into uh, uh, Europe and China instead, and most, then most notably the Model 3, because if you look at the sales of the Model S and the Model X, those are actually declining in both Europe and in China for two reasons. First of all, just more competition. Jaguar and Audi are in the process of eating Tesla's lunch in Europe in terms of the pricier electric cars and on the lower end Hyundai and Kia in particular in Europe are really advancing at a breakneck pace in terms of gaining market share and in China of course we have all of these cars that we never hear or see about in the United States that are I mean there are 375 different electric car startups in China and that's not counting the big boys the BYDs and the Geely's and so forth Geely of course owns Volvo so uh uh, Tesla has got its uh, work cut out for itself in uh, China as well as in Europe. Sounds like that uh, this summer will be a, a, a real banner summer for the release of new electric vehicles in the United States, making Tesla's climb a little more uphill. I know that uh, the rumor that's flying around now is that we'll see the uh, hybrid of the electric Mustang SUV that'll be released. Uh, they're saying, or analysts are suggesting that we'll see that for the first time at the LA Auto Show. Things not getting easier for Tesla in the United States. No, I mean, what's going on here is the old ketchup bottle effect in that sometimes the long product cycles that it uh, uh, takes to develop any car, whether electric or not, these things take at least four to five years to develop from scratch. If you decided on developing these cars back in 2015, 2016, that means that these cars are starting to roll out here in 2019 and 2020. And what we're going to see is that all of these automakers made decisions to roll out anywhere between five and 25 cars each. And uh, so that by the end of 2022, we have over... 200 models that are going to hit the market. We won't be able to keep track of them, Nick. We were, we we're going to be confused. This is going to be essentially like doubling almost the size of the entire automotive model uh, market in terms of complexity as we have known it for uh, the last few decades. And probably what will happen is some of the companies who are not as robust will end up cutting the prices because they won't be selling the vehicles. So as consumers, we can expect to see some cut price EVs at some point. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is widely speculated in, in that unless the consumer has some sort of incentive to buy all of these electric cars, it's going to be tough because there are a lot of people that live in the warm, balmy uh, California and maybe the other sort of sunbelt mile uh, states where it doesn't get all that cold who find it uh, pretty obvious that, of course, you, you have, uh, you know, seven miles to drive to work and another three miles to the grocery store and another two miles to school and, you know, there's nothing more to worry about. But, of course, much of America lives in between California and Washington, D.C., and it's cold there. 
And uh, oh, by the way, you may have to sometimes travel longer distances, such as you may want to have a car that can take you uh, uh, in the middle of the night at uh, 30 below zero to the hospital and if need be. And uh, for those types of people, uh, getting an electric car right now doesn't sound quite as attractive. So the hurdle is going to be tougher. And that leads us to exactly the phenomenon that we just talked about, Nick. And that is that uh, all of these 200 or so cars that are coming out uh, I think that they are going to be discounted very heavily as we move into 2020 and 2021. I'm looking forward to the day that I can buy a brand new electric vehicle for half the price a gas vehicle is uh, currently on sale. That might be uh, that might be something that's in the future. Anton, we're going to take a quick break for commercials. When we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about the new Audi e-tron, which is on sale, plus the falling price of electric vehicles. That's all coming up as our auto expert continues. There is. So so much electric news you will not believe what we're going to talk about in the next part of the show. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. He's Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert. I enjoy when they introduce me with, uh, you know, exciting disco music. Uh, disco. I make myself sound like I'm 80. Uh, you're listening to our auto expert on the show with us, Anton Wallman. He is an independent analyst and a reporter, researcher, 389 articles. You can find them on Seeking Alpha by Anton. Uh, Anton, we were talking a little bit about Tesla. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Audi e-tron. First deliveries into Norway recently. Yeah, so after numerous delays, remember this car, the Audi e-tron, the uh, first uh, pure electric car from Audi, which is essentially a mid-size SUV, very beautiful, well, very well-portioned car. Uh, it, um, uh, it, uh, it has been delayed several times. It was supposed to be out in October, got delayed to November, then it, they said December, then they said January, but it now looks like they made their first commercial deliveries in the last handful of days in the country of Norway. They delivered almost a hundred cars here in the last week. And, uh, the backlog in that tiny little country alone is supposed to be about 3,000 cars. So let's see how long it takes them to deliver these 3,000 or so cars in just that little country alone. And keep in mind that Audi has supposedly been producing the e-tron since the beginning of September in its factory in Belgium. And uh, in the meantime, these delays had to do with the software and certification and so forth. So presumably they've been able to produce several thousand of these that are now going to commence deliveries, not just in Norway, but also in Germany and Belgium and Holland and a small handful of other countries in Europe. Now, this could mean trouble for Tesla because they already laid off uh, a f few people uh, t just recently. Uh, does this mean that uh, their production will be slowing down and uh, some of the Tesla jobs in the United States could be in trouble? Well, Tesla just announced a 7% layoff of its full-time staff a couple of weeks ago. And we subsequently learned just the other day that of its uh, centralized sales and delivery force uh, that uh, deal with U.S. deliveries, about two-thirds of them were laid off. So clearly Tesla is expecting a very sharp 
uh, drop-off in deliveries here in the early part of uh, 2019. So uh, whether this uh, is something that Audi is impacting or not is not entirely clear. It may very well be that even if Audi didn't exist, uh, that these jobs and sales numbers from Tesla would have gone straight down the toilet no matter what. They may, that may be the conclusion here. You know, Tesla's uh, sales are predicted to be down around 70-plus percent in uh, January uh, from December. Uh, is, is that just the tax credit, or uh, has Tesla exceeded what the U.S. market wants to absorb? Well, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Clearly, uh, the central factor here is that the U.S. Uh, federal tax credit was cut in half January 1st for Tesla, and everybody had no- known about that since the middle of the year. So for about six months, people had been angling to decide on when to take delivery of a Tesla, primarily the Model 3. So I think really what happened was that driven by this factor, Tesla shook the tree as hard as it possibly could to eke out every single little possible person in the entire country who had any inkling of buying a Tesla. Basically, if you didn't take delivery of a Tesla by the end of December 31st, uh, you would uh, basically be a bit stupid. That was the argument. And as a result, there just aren't all that many buyers left at these prices. I mean, clearly, if they come out with a lower price model here uh, soon enough or whenever it happens, they're going to be incremental buyers. There's no question about that. But as things stand right now, it was pretty natural that this would happen, this very dramatic drop in sales come January 1st. But Tesla did reduce the price of the Model 3 by a thousand and uh, $1,100 a week or so ago. Uh, is that not That's helping? Right, they did that, and uh, yeah, they, they reduced the price by eleven hundred dollars a week ago, and then uh, a few weeks before that, right at the beginning of the year, uh, they reduced it also by two thousand dollars. So they have done now in a matter of basically about a month, they reduced the price by a cumulative uh, three thousand one hundred dollars. But that was after they shook the tree and after all the apples had fallen down. So basically, these price cuts right now. Uh, for the, this existing car that uh, saw a reduction in federal tax credit of $3,750 may not have yielded all that many uh, incremental sales at this point. So I think they would have to do a lot more for sales to uh, come back up again. Can they afford to reduce the price anymore or you think they've exhausted any leeway that they may have had? Well, uh, of course, this, this is a very complicated uh, situation where uh, really, uh, the the cost of a car, let alone the cost of anything, depends on how you define costs, right? Because it depends on over what volume is spread the fixed cost, and it's part of a far larger uh, uh, total factor equation. But the short answer is that uh, every few dollars here on the margin uh, that Tesla has to reduce its price all of a sudden on short notice uh, comes directly out of its bottom line. So. Tesla could certainly, just like any other company, drive sales by lowering prices. Every automaker does this from time to time. But Tesla, of course, famously has a very thin balance sheet. They have about $10 billion worth of debt. And they, they've just posted two barely profitable uh, quarters here. So 
uh, they they uh, they are flying pretty close to the sun in terms of needing the cash flow and needing the profitability here. So they don't have a whole lot of room to maneuver absent any new uh, capital injection that may or may not uh, show up for them here in the near term. One of the things that this has done is painted a path for current automakers to look at what they will be doing with their brand new vehicles and deciding how they're going to launch them. And uh, Polestar, which is Volvo's electric car company, has said says it will reveal its brand new vehicle on February 27th uh, to or, or sets the reveal date and then that will hopefully come in as a vehicle which is a well-priced electric vehicle. Yeah, so as you know, Nick, most automakers, when they launch a new car, especially in a new electric car, and all the journalists will run up to them and say, is this going to compete with Tesla? Is this going to compete with Tesla? <laughs> right. As you know, all of them are very careful to to say that it won't. Oh, no, 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 we're just doing this. Who is Tesla? No, don't worry. They're interesting. They're good, but we're not really positioning. Well, we all know that that is... Uh, uh, not exactly the case, but Volvo is a bit refreshing here is that they say very explicitly and they make no bones about it. They said this is absolutely meant to be an absolute direct head on competitor to the Tesla Model 3. It's the same size. It's the same shape. It's going to have 400 plus horsepower. It's going to have 300 miles of range. It's going to have all wheel drive, basically a very high spec car. And they've been uh, toying around with the price. I will add, I can't imagine that they will stick to this, but they've been saying it shouldn't cost more than $45,000. If that is anywhere near the truth, then they will be very severely undercutting Tesla Model 3 in its performance uh, version. So I have to believe that in the end, uh, uh, the price that they uh, have been hinting to over the last year or so uh, is going to prove a bit over-optimistic. But we'll find out here on uh, February 27th. And it's just so interesting that they are refreshingly saying in the most explicit manner possible that uh, the Polestar 2 here is going to be absolutely head-on competing with the Tesla Model 3. So I can't wait to see this thing. It's going to be produced in China starting in the fourth quarter, and they really haven't said uh, what their rollout plan is going to be in terms of how many units are going to get sold and what geographies are going to be allocated, so and so many units. So these are all, as of yet, unanswered questions that uh, hopefully will clarify themselves here uh, already on uh, February 27th. Do you think the Made in China is going to hurt them? Because, of course, we all like to buy things that benefit our own personal economy, our own American economy, our local economy. Uh, Made in China doesn't always sit as well with the American public as it may have done in the past. Well, I think that as far as purely the consumer is concerned, the the consumer... Uh, more than anything, it doesn't know. They still think that all the Volvos are made in Sweden, right? Whereas, in fact, a large number of Volvos are made in Belgium now and South Carolina, as well as in multiple factories in China. So uh, Chinese Volvos have been around for a few years already now. I don't think it'll hurt Volvo in terms of the consumer. Uh, could Volvo get caught in some sort of... Um, American-Chinese uh, governmental trade conflict? It's possible. We'll find out. But hopefully those issues will have been resolved before uh, this production starts here at the end of this year. There seems to be less profit if you make things in China. The Chinese government likes to keep control of some uh, more uh, of a company than they would if they'd made it in the United States. Do you think it's harder to produce a vehicle in China now than it was in the past? 
Well, for some companies, it has been uh, tough sledding. After that's General Motors and the Ford, who are having big problems uh, with profitability in China right now. But keep in mind that Volvo is essentially wholly owned by Geely, which is a domestic Chinese company. So of all the companies that are producing in China, I would argue that they have the least problems in this regard. They are considered a native Chinese company as far as the Chinese government is concerned, and they're not facing most of these obstacles. So Volvo of all companies is the one company that sort of uh, uh, flies beneath that uh, particular dangerous radar. Now, let's turn to things at home. FCA announces that Jeep Wrangler production will uh, will be, be looking at uh, uh, some changes in the coming months. Oh, this is very exciting, Nick. Extremely exciting. I can I can barely go to sleep and I wake up in the <laughs> middle of the night in a positive way when I think about this. In the second quarter, yeah, yeah, you know, for all the wrong reasons, Nick, for all the wrong reasons. So basically, in the second quarter, a production of the Jeep Wrangler in Toledo, Ohio, it's going to go down for a nondescript number of weeks because they're retooling the assembly line to be able to handle the production of the plug-in hybrid Wrangler, believe it or not. This thing will undergo pre-production here during the second half of 2019. And in January, they're going to start creaming out these cars, uh, plug-in hybrid uh, Wranglers. They haven't really talked much about the architecture in it, but if you look un- under the rear seat of a, of a four-door uh, Jeep Wrangler Sahara, you'll see that there's nothing there, just thin air. That's where you put the battery, obviously. And uh, this may give you, uh, we'll find out, but close to 20 miles worth of pure electric drive. And uh, I just really can't wait to drive this thing. This is uh, this is a car that a lot of people, if you're going to introduce a plug-in hybrid car to uh, uh, Rocky Mountain Americans and people out there who want a car that is rugged and can withstand winter and cold and uh, where you're not worrying about a whole lot of sensitivity issues that many other pure electric cars are facing, this may just be the ticket. So of all the cars that I see coming out here over the next year, this one uh, is very, very near the top of the list. The plug- Plug-in hybrid Jeep Wrangler made in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, what do you say, Nick? I, I'm my concern is well. well first question is: Do they need to do this at Jeep because these vehicles are selling like hotcakes? Do they need to introduce a different kind of Wrangler because they can sell pretty much everything they're making right now? Well, a few thousand years ago, there was some famous Chinese general who had one of these uh, famous. Uh, uh, sayings about uh, what to do in a battle and one of these things and how to win a battle and that is go to where the enemy isn't. Now, of all the cars in the world, there won't be anything remotely like it on the market. Uh, a plug-in hybrid Jeep Wrangler. Yeah, there, there really won't be any remotest direct competition in this time frame. So just like uh, FCA has the Chrysler Pacifica plug-in hybrid, there's no other plug-in hybrid minivan either. And they're selling uh, about a thousand a month of those in U.S. and Canada combined. And I think that uh, this may just be the odd bus right. ticket that uh, will be a very positive, quirky addition to the marketplace. Anton Wallman, you can read his stuff at SeekingAlpha.com. He brings and enlightens us on uh, what's happening in the market, especially with BEVs and uh, EV vehicles or hybrids. Anton, I'll look forward. I'll be straight in line behind you to drive that uh, brand-new Jeep Wrangler plug-in hybrid. More out. Our auto expert at ourautoexpert.com.